I thought this evening we'd do things just a little bit differently and read together from the songbook. If you'll open with me to number 507, 507, and you'll have to restrain yourself because we're not going to sing it. We're going to read together. 507. Does Jesus care when my heart is pained too deeply for mirth and song as the burdens press and the cares distress and the way grows weary and long? Does Jesus care when my way is dark with a nameless dread and fear as the daylight fades into deep night shades? Does he care enough to be near? Does Jesus care when I've said goodbye to the dearest on earth to me and my sad heart aches till it nearly breaks? Is it aught to him does he see? Oh, yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. When the days are weary, the long nights dreary, I know my Savior cares. Now, that may be one of your favorite songs. It's one of mine. It reminds us of something the Bible teaches us in both Testaments and concerns two truths that ought to shape and change our thinking for the better and give us tremendous hope. The first truth is God knows you. He knows me better than we know ourselves. His knowledge of us is intimate and complete. And second, as a truth that gives us hope, is the fact that God cares about you and cares about me. And of course, Jesus uh, in the flesh was God with us, Emmanuel. Uh, Jesus Christ, along with the Spirit and the Father, uh, represent uh, the Godhead, those possessing Godhood. This is God we're speaking of. And it gives us tremendous solace and hope in life to realize we're both understood of heaven and cared about by the Lord. You might recall the wonderful passage in the book of Psalms. It's the 139th, where the psalmist says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and aren't acquainted with all my ways. You've hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Well, that stands as truth. We can't debate. God does know us so intimately. Sometimes we have difficulty understanding one another. Have you noticed that? Uh, perhaps you've had conversations these last few days, and you'll be about uh, two or three minutes into the conversation and realize this isn't even the conversation I thought we were having. I don't quite understand your point or what you're trying to say. Families sometimes like that. 
And uh, others may have looked at you quizzically and wondered what in the world you were talking about, trying to understand you. And as difficult as it is for us to understand one another, sometimes, sadly, it's difficult to understand. Have you ever done something and wondered why you did it? Many of us have reached a point where we go into a room and wonder why we're there. Or at the door front wondering which way am I going, in or out? Or what I'm going for, have I gotten it or not? And what was it? And, and what was I thinking? Why did I say that? Why did I do that? Not only do we know little about each other, we know little about ourselves. But God, he knows us because he made us. And in the flesh, Jesus, of course, knew those around him in a way they didn't know themselves. In the last of John chapter 2, it speaks of our Lord not having the need for men to testify of men. For Jesus knew men. He knew what was in man, John tells us. And he did. It was apparent so many times when Jesus would know the thoughts of those as to what they were thinking knew Nathaniel as to what he was saying when he was out of earshot. Jesus knew what was in man, and even now he knows what is in man. In a way beyond just technical or academic knowledge. Because now Christ has come from heaven and lived among us. And in so doing, he's been able now to see things from our perspective, out of our eyes. Uh, this uh, high priest we have in Christ was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. That from Hebrews, the last part of chapter 4. So Jesus knows you inside and out, everything about you, so much so that there's no secret thing about any of us with respect to Jesus. Uh, you can hide something from your spouse or from your friend or from your neighbor, or from your Christian brother or sister, but you can't hide anything from God. And if you're doing something wrong, that's bad news. If you're doing something good, that's wonderful news. Because God knows the good you do as well as the bad you do. He knows why you did it as well. Do you recall when the Lord sent Samuel to select the king that would replace Saul? Saul had been a tremendous disappointment, and he was rebelling against God in his disobedience. And Samuel was sent to the house of Jesse to find someone to take the place of Saul. And of course, this house of Jesse, uh, from the right tribe of, of Judah, would lead eventually to Christ himself in the genealogy. But as Samuel was looking over the sons of Jesse... All which seemed to be fairly good prospects, strapping boys at that. God says no and no and no to each one in turn. Is there another boy you've got when he seems to run out? Well, I've got one tending the sheep. And of course, David was the one selected of God. And God reminded Samuel of something we need to remember. Whereas man looks on the outward appearance, God looks upon the heart. We sometimes have difficulty discerning the hearts of people around us. 
I've been fooled, and I'm sure you have too, by people that you thought were one way, but they were another, that seemed to be a certain kind of person, but turned out to be something altogether different. But God knows the hearts. Jesus knows your heart. He knows mine. But there's more than just that. If that were the end of it, that still wouldn't be enough to give us any kind of hope. But there is some measure of interest in knowing we're being understood. How many times do we say, I just would wish that somebody would, would, would get me, understand what I'm talking about, uh, be on the same wavelength with me. Well, God knows you inside and out. He knows you. But even more than that, he cares about you. I think it was Herb this morning in class that uh, brought up the point that God loves us so and we wonder why he loves us so. It's an unanswerable question except to say God is love that doesn't really help us. And that we're his, that's true, but still it doesn't speak to why God would give his own son to die for us undeserving ones as we are but he did and he does love us God who made the heavens and the earth as the psalm was wondering in Psalm 8 why have you been mindful of us well that's a good question but he is the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, his truth endures to all generations. That's the last verse of Psalm 100. The Lord is my refuge and my strength, a very present help in trouble. So says Psalm 46 and verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So says Psalm 23 and verse 1. And the Psalms themselves by themselves are replete with passages reminders of this that God cares about us God knows about us and Jesus his son cares about you and me as well Jesus knows and Jesus cares John chapter 11 gives us a fascinating story of the resurrection of Lazarus and uh, before Jesus says at the tomb, Lazarus come forth, and he does. Before that, some, some intriguing things have happened. Jesus has heard now, about 20 miles away from Bethany, where Lazarus is sick and dying, he hears word that Lazarus, your friend, is sick. And... Uh, Jesus tarries, he waits for two days before he begins to travel in that direction. And it's a one or two day journey at that. And of course we know the story, we know the end of it, we know how it turns out, we know why. It's to reveal his power in the resurrection of Lazarus. We know that, but they didn't. The sisters didn't. They may have been wondering, why has he hurt and he hasn't yet come? And uh, it being four days now that he's been gone, when Jesus finally arrives at Bethany, 
it would seem that about the time the message goes out, or not long after, he's already gone. But still, why hasn't Christ come back? Why is he waiting? Does he not even care? Well, of course they know. He knows. He's been told. And if he hadn't been told, he would still know because he knows all things. But he does go back to Bethany and he talks to both sisters independently of one another and they both say the same thing. Remember? Upon seeing the Lord, the first thing both of them say, both Martha and Mary, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And there seems to be an icy chill in the language. If you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. That's a nice way of saying you're the reason he's dead. You could have stopped it. Now, of course, they don't know the way it's going to turn out. They don't understand the entire story as you and I do. We have the luxury of hindsight. And Jesus reminds that he's the resurrection and the life, not just in the hereafter sometime, but right now in the present tense. They, at the moment, don't understand that. And Jesus asked to be taken to the place where the body of Lazarus has been laid. And he, there at the tomb, weeps. Uh, maybe you're one of those kids that learned your first verse, the easiest one in the whole Bible. Jesus wept. John 11 verse 35. Actually that's the English and the Greek rejoice evermore in 1 Thessalonians 5 is shorter, but that's uh, an arcane point that I need not mention. Forget I did. But back to Lazarus. Jesus weeps at his tomb. And the question is, why? Well, he, Jesus knew that he was just about to raise this man from the dead. And some say, well, it's because he's, he's weeping because he knows he has to come back. Well, we're putting a lot of words in there that aren't in the text. Could be, I don't know, but they're not in the text, that reason. Uh, the reason given from the perspective of those in the vicinity of seeing this, the next verse, verse 36 the Jews who saw it said, Behold how he loved him. And it seems as if, based upon at least their perception of what Jesus was doing, uh, Christ was doing what we all do in, in not just sympathizing but empathizing with uh, people who are hurting. His friends were there and they were hurting. And uh, Lazarus's sisters, Martha and Mary, they were there and they were grief-stricken. They were hurting. And Christ felt not just with them, but for them, and not just for them, but with them. He was a man that had the same emotions we have in terms of things like that. And he wept. If Jesus wept at the tomb of Lazarus, when he cared about something seemingly as insignificant as a man who had died that was just about to be raised again to life. Uh, doesn't he care about you and care about me? He, he does. He does. Uh, one thing that uh, so strains relationships is a feeling of aloneness. Uh, one thing sometimes causes us such frustration is the sense of being all by ourselves. 
And when we as Christians feel that way, we are forgetting something. Now, cut yourself some slack. Other good people have forgotten the same thing. Back in 1 Kings, Elijah, as wonderful as that prophet was, after the Mount Carmel uh, victory, he goes off and he spends time pouting and whining and wishing he could die because he, he says, and he alone was left alive, a servant of the Lord. It wasn't true, but that's how he felt. And so if you ever feel that way, just understand you're in good company, but you're still mistaken. But as we close, I'd like to remind you of one more example of somebody besides Elijah who has a better attitude than he did. And that's the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 4, who's about to end his life and death as a martyr. We believe he'll soon be beheaded under order of Nero Caesar. And he's had his first appearance before Caesar. He says, all men forsook me, no man stood with me. And some, like Demas, are mentioned by name. And Demas is particularly mentioned as one who's forsaken him and uh, did so because he loved this present world. And here, it's hard to find a situation more alone than being in a dark, dank, damp prison cell with no one left to stand with you, for you, to speak up in your behalf, hear you all by yourself, surrounded by your enemies, those who will soon take your life. And yet, Paul says, the Lord stood with me. And strengthened me. That's something all of us can have. There's no miracle in that we're talking about. The Lord was with Paul in the same way he can be with you and with me. Knowing what we need. Knowing our situation. Sometimes knowing our grief and frustration. Knowing our difficulties. He knows all of that. And he cares for us as his children. As his sheep. As his family. He cares about us. And strengthens us. That same Paul said in Philippians chapter 4. In the context of contentment. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, all of us have that. We have the help and aid, the providence, the strength, the comfort, the presence, the help of heaven in Jesus Christ in our lives. If that weren't true, nothing we believe is. If that's not the case, we are misreading the Bible because it says that very thing. Long story short, not a one of us ever has to feel all alone and by ourselves. It does feel that way sometimes. But always know you're not. If you're a child of God, you're a child of God. In his family, he's your father. He cares about you. Jesus, as your elder brother, cares about you. And uh, heaven wants your best. Heaven wants what's best for you. He wants you to help and guide and enable the kingdom as best you can. And he'll give you everything you need to fulfill what his will for you is.
Jesus knows and Jesus cares. Uh, there's another song we won't read because it's not in our book, but it's in so many others. Uh, when the road is rough and the way is dim, Jesus knows. Jesus cares. He does. Now, I mention this this evening for a reason, and we're just about to close. As exciting and wonderful and, uh, and uh, exuberant as these times of holiday are, between Thanksgiving and Christmas, the lights are up and there's cheer uh, from the voices and there is just excitement everywhere. The kids are uh, exuberant about their presents coming up and family is together. It's amazing that that time of, of, of upbeat optimism is also a time of terrible depression for others because loved ones are not with them any longer because uh, for whatever reason, uh, depression is as strong in the holidays as optimism and joy is. And let me remind you, this holiday season and every season of the year, don't buy into your emotions. Don't be uh, governed by your feelings. Root yourself in, in the hope we have in Christ and know, know that God does care about you. One of the songs we sang this evening, I wasn't aware we were going to, but it was a wonderful song based upon the words of Hebrews chapter 6. We have an anchor that keeps the soul. And that's based upon the fact that God cannot lie, which gives us a hope, which we have as an anchor of the soul, sure and steadfast. We have hope the world doesn't have. But let's hold on to that hope and live by it and act like we have it and do the best we can to share it with others. If you're here tonight and outside of Christ, please obey the gospel in, in faith and repentance, confession, and baptism, or as a child of God, if you walked away, what better time than tonight to come back? But if you need to come, come now, as together we stand and sing.